Hi, I'm Jeff Downs, and you're listening to the Rock Solid Podcast. Welcome to Rock Solid, the comedy podcast for all things music, both new and classic. I'm Pat Francis, and joining me in the Zoom room today, you know him as the legendary keyboard player and founder of the band Asia. He's currently in Yes. He's been in Yes for years. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Jeff Downs. Jeff, how are you doing? I'm good, Pat. How's yourself? I am good. We are... uh, you're on. You're across the pond, uh, so they say. You're in England right now. I'm in Wales, yeah, which is yes, yeah, uh, close to close to England. Yeah. The Zoom thing is kind of amazing that we can uh, we can be having this conversation right now, and uh, at this great distance and and see each other. I love it. Yeah, it's great. I mean, uh, I think that uh, it's really come into its own in the current uh, the current environment. So. Uh, yeah, it's nice. It's nice to be able to uh, to chat and to meet people on uh, online. Absolutely. Have you been Have you been doing that a lot? Have you been uh, Have you been doing a lot of uh, podcasts and Zoom room things? Yeah, we did. Um, you know, been doing quite a bit when we were in full lockdown. It was It was. Um, you know, it was kind of more personal. Jeff, the reason you're here today is Yes has a new live album coming out on October thirtieth. It's called The Royal Affair, live in Las Vegas. Yes has quite a few live albums. You guys like to put out the live albums. Well, yeah, I, th- I think this one is particularly special because it was a, uh, you know, it was a tour that had uh, a lot of people that were, I was connected with in the past. You know, like I said, you like Carl Palmer, his band. Uh, we had the Crazy World of Arthur Brown and, uh, and John Lodge from... Uh, uh, from uh, the Moody Blues, and also I was doing two stints, both with uh, Yes and Asia. So it was uh, it was kind of a you know quite a, a, an energetic uh, tour for me, you could say. And certainly, it was a lot of fun, and I think it was nice that this one in particular we managed to capture. That version of Asia had uh, Ron Bumblefoot Thaw. He was fronting the band for their shows. Yeah, Ron, Ron uh, he did a fantastic job. He came in, uh, well, I'd worked with him briefly before, quite a few years ago, uh, on a project. And, uh, yeah, he was such a, you know, noticeably great talent. And uh, and I was really pleased that he, he agreed to step up to the plate. And, you know, he did a great, great job on all, all, the, all the songs that I wrote with John Wetton. So, uh, so I was very pleased about that, that we... He could still go out and do Asia. Was he and he was handling the vocals and he was also playing was he playing Steve House part on those songs too? Um, on, on some of the stuff, yeah. He uh Steve came and joined us for about three or four songs at the end of the show, at the end of the Asia set. But um well Ron was doing the uh, uh the Lion's share, obviously with the vocals as well. Right. This it's no mean feat to be able to hold all that together. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Ron, he did a fantastic job. And then uh, Billy Sherwood was doing double duty also, right, on for Asia and Yes on the bass? 
Yeah, well, Billy, we did a, a big tour the year before last with Journey, um, which was the first time we'd been out without John, you right. know, who sadly passed away. Uh, but uh, that was, uh, Billy came in, stood in for John, and uh, uh, so it was kind of logical that that he would um, continue when we when we decided to go out again. And of course, he was playing with Yes too, so it was another cross cross pollination between the two bands in, in many respects. These uh, the prog rock bands seem to be be very incestual. Like everyone plays with everyone at some point in your career. Yeah, I think the British prog musicians have got a certain uh, empathy with each other, and I think that. Um, you know, I, I did stuff with Greg Lake, uh, I did stuff with Glenn Hughes, you know, not specifically prog, but obviously uh, was was in Deep Purple for a while. Uh, so I always seem to have ended up with with people from that genre. And, uh, you know, I consider myself very fortunate that I've been able to to work with all these people that I, you know, I, I, I come a few generations, well, I'm a generation behind them. So uh, in some respects... It was kind of uh, really neat for me to be able to work with these guys that I got ultimate respect for and was a big fan of. So the current lineup of Yes, we've got uh, Jeff Downs, of course, on keyboard, Steve Howe on guitar, Alan White on drums, John Davison on vocals, and of course, we just mentioned Billy Sherwood on bass. How do you guys put together a set list uh, for a current tour? I mean, Yes has so many albums and so many songs. It can't be easy. Yeah, I think we try and um, we try and dish up a different, uh, you know, a different set list every time we go out. Rather than, I mean, there are some staples in yes, you know, roundabout is a kind of staple sure. song that it's hard to imagine a yes show without roundabout. But um, uh, certainly, we, we've dug quite deep into some of the other albums, like The uh, Ladder. We did a couple of tracks from that. Um, so some some slightly more obscure, uh, what what you would say were more obscure yes albums right. rather than the kind of the big, the big four or five albums that that were uh, they noted for in the seventies. But it's it's a very interesting uh, thing to do because we I think we have covered virtually every era of yes at some point. So it's um it's uh, it's it's nice to continue doing that. And uh, do you have a do you have a favorite Yes song to play in concert? Maybe one that you didn't play on on an album, a classic Yes song. When you see it in the set list, are you like, <coughs> are you like, yeah, this one? I love playing this. Um, I think I'd say, and you and I is one of the ones that I really. Uh, I just think it's a very very defining Yes song. All complete in the sight of seeds of life.
I think from my standpoint, that's the one I really, you know, I get goosebumps every every time that one comes up. Oh, but, that's cool. Uh, uh, there are, you know, the, the close to the edge of the track, you know, that's an amazing piece of music. Uh, we've just been uh, on the last tour. It's not on the live album, but we're doing Gates of Delirium from the Relayer album, which again is a very, very different type of Yes music. So, um it's uh, it, it's nice to vary it up a lot, and uh, and I think that you know I think the fans really appreciate the fact that we don't just go out and play the same set time after time, you know. Yeah, it's always uh, when I've seen you guys, it's always a surprise because you guys, of course, like you said, roundabout. There's there's like two or three that have to be in the set list, but yeah, you guys really mix it up, and uh, the fans do appreciate it. Yeah, I think they do, and I think that. Um, it keeps us fresh as well. You know, I think that from our own standpoint, it's nice to, certainly from from my standpoint, you know, I'm, I'm going out there some nights, I'm playing four or five different keyboard players. So uh, it's quite a challenge in, in a lot of respects for me uh, to sort of try and get myself into the role of the Rick Wakemans or the Tony Kays or the Patrick Myers. Um, so, yeah, it's... Uh, it's a challenge, and I think that challenge is a healthy thing. That's what's interesting about Yes. There's been many different players who played many different parts in the band. You're uh, you're one of the keyboard players in the in the history. You're uh, you're locked in now. You're you're all in on Yes. Yeah, I think so. I think it's uh, it's such a magical band. You know, I think that when you look at the history of Yes, and uh, you know over 50 years of making music i think that uh you know it's almost like a, a kind of classical musician's ca- catalog you know it's uh, a composer you know it's uh it's a whole it's a whole gamut of music and, and that's that's one of the reasons why i think the band has remained uh so intact and on top of its game in that it's very much a musician's band yes and uh you know i think that is something that is very refreshing, even in today's world, where you know there's so many different, uh, you know, the stars. A lot of the stars today are kind of, you know, they're manufactured or they're on reality TV shows or whatever. You know, to be able to be still be in a band that, you know, is interacting with musicians and, and making, you know, making great music. I think that's. For me, that's very, that's how I started out. So it's uh, it's very important to try and continue to do that. Yeah, the the members of Yes are definitely playing live. Everyone is in the groove, in the pocket, and they're uh, in sync. And uh, it's just yeah. fantastic when you see you guys play. Well, that's great. Yeah, there's no there's no tricks. You know, it's uh, it's it's this edgy stuff. You know, being in Yes is not it's not a roller coaster ride. You know, you you've got to really. Uh, You've got to be on 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 your best behavior, you know, to uh, to make it all happen. Are you guys? How much rehearsal goes in before a tour? I, I would obviously new songs that are in the set list have to be worked out. Yeah, I think we tend to do a lot of pre preparation uh, individually. Okay, uh, uh, and then you know we'll get together for two or three weeks before a tour and start really fine-tuning it. So, I mean, you can do so much on your own. And obviously, I study, you know, a lot of the keyboard parts in, in, in great depth. But, you know, it's, once you get in the room with the other guys, then it all changes. And right. You've really got to be, uh, you know, start to modify certain things you thought were 
that and something else, you know. Um, so, yeah, from that standpoint, we, we, we give ourselves a, a little a window of rehearsals and then, uh, uh, and then we're ready to roll. After uh, after this long in the business, do you guys ever do you guys ever come off stage and just look at each other and and, and think that one that one wasn't great tonight? We something was up with this one. Do you guys ever do you guys have bad shows after this long, or is everything just always cool? No, it's uh, you try to get to a certain standard. I think a certain standard builds over the course mm-hmm. of the tour, uh, and obviously we're all trying to be at the highest level possible. Uh, but sometimes, whether or not, uh, you know, nothing actually, sometimes technical things go wrong, but generally speaking, you know, we've got a fantastic crew, we've got uh, great people working for us, so the actual, you know, the, the, the technical aspect is normally pretty good, but uh, sometimes it feels a bit, you know, if the audience is slightly... Uh, not, 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 uh, not, not as responsive as you might right, think that right. things should be. Then that gives you a little bit of a, a strange feeling. But, you <laughs> sure. Know, you, you know, you, you, if the audience are really behind you in a massive way, then you just go on the ride, you know, and you just literally, you're riding the wave, you know. And I think that's what, um, that's what really makes it for me is, a, you know, the difference between a great night and a, uh, maybe a not so great night right. is the fact you've got, you know, that audience participation, you've got the feel of the venue, you know, and everyone's on cloud nine. And I yeah. think, you know, we get, we get those gigs sometimes and it's a very great feeling, you know, it's a really uplifting uh, aspect to the whole thing is that you suddenly feel, wow, you know, this is, this is great. You know, this is yeah. fantastic. Well, whenever I've seen you guys perform here in Los Angeles, it's always at, you know, it's some amazing venue like, uh, like the Greek theater, or I recently saw you guys at the Ford theater, which is a, a smaller outdoor place, but these venues are just you know, made for music. And, uh, anyone who goes to these venues in LA, we're always into the show. So you guys always yeah. get a good crowd response here. They used a very good atmosphere in the amphitheaters, and uh, we used to play at the, uh, you know, the Gibson Amphitheater, which I don't think is there. Yeah, anymore. no, not not there anymore. Um, and that was always really good, but uh, yeah, I mean, um, it's always been great, LA. You know, there's always been a very receptive crowd. There's always been, um, you know, there's so many musicians there. We've sure. got a lot of friends there, and uh, it's always good to these guys come back and and hang backstage with us and, and, uh, it's just like a kind of family, you know, it's yeah. great. And I would think also when you guys, uh, touch down in a part of the, the country where, where there's not a lot of concerts or where you haven't played before that people are, are super excited that yes comes to town. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, you go through the sort of parts of the Midwest, which mm-hmm. you don't know, often get to. And, you know, they're, they're I would say grateful, but they're, they're very, overly enthusiastic sure. because obviously you know you know a band like yes doesn't go through that that town that often so it's um it's i mean i i love traveling across the whole of america you know i've got great great memories of playing in i think i've i've played in every single state in america at some point so it's um it's it's great to go back and and uh you know hopefully soon <laughs> right. this going on well, it, uh, you brought up Relay earlier. It looks like in 2021, you guys uh, 
you know, on the books right now, you guys are going to be playing Relayer. That's right. Yes, we were we were pretty well all ready to go on it, and then the uh, you know the pandemic hit, and uh, we had to postpone all our plans for this year. So uh, we hope we can get that one back up and running again uh, next year. And uh, you know that that would be the one album that we haven't really from that seventies uh, era of yes, yeah. it's the one album that we haven't actually addressed as an album. So. Uh, so that that'll be a lot of fun. I mean, we look forward to that. Yeah, that album is always the one that's it's it's a little bit. How do I want to describe it? Doesn't have it doesn't have well known songs on it unless you're you know a super yes fan. It's kind of the oddity of the uh, of the whole catalog. So that'll be really cool and interesting for the diehard fans. I think because it was the album that Patrick Mraz, the only album that Patrick Mraz played on. True. I think he. He added a whole different uh, aspect to Yes at that point, and I think they they embraced that uh, kind of jazz element, influence, more kind of rock, uh, jazz fusion. Uh, so I think that he was, you know, not largely responsible, but I think that he helped to push Yes in another direction, which I think they were looking out for. And I think that it is a it is an odd ball of an album in many mm. respects. And I think that, um, you know, a lot of the real diehard Yes fans cite that as being, you know, one of the holy grail of some, you know, that exactly. era, yeah. in many ways, because of, uh, because of the, the oddity of it and because the fact that it, it has all this very, very intense musicianship on it. And uh, uh, it's a great album. I, I, I really... Uh, I really enjoy playing Gates of Delirium. That's a, a, a crazy piece. And, you know, we've got Sound Chasers even more crazy. That's, um, it's a great album. And I think that we, we, we'll really go out and have a good time doing that. All right. Let's go way back, Jeff. I'm going to go back to 1981, August. You're in the Buggles. And Video Kills the Radio Star is the first video ever played on MTV. the first 1981 uh, I, I'd say I'll never forget it but at the time it was not really um, what you could say MTV was in its very formative stages. Sure. No one really knew what it was No one really knew what it was uh, Video Killer Radio Star had been out uh, two years before that so it was not uh, you know, from our standpoint, it was we, we'd already done an album with Yes, and we did a second Buggles album. Uh, I'd st I'd formed Asia at that point with the other three guys, so 
it was more of a, a, an aside than uh, anything else that someone said, oh, yeah, you know, there's this new, <laughs> this new channel open called uh, Music Television. Um, and you, they use your video to open the whole thing. I thought, oh, that, that, I thought this was a couple of weeks later. So that's pretty cool, you know. But yeah. I didn't really attach too much significance to it until it really started to get sort of very deep into the uh, uh, American music scene and uh, became a significant um, uh, player in the game yeah. almost to the point where almost to the point where it was it was the, the market leader in terms of breaking music uh, so uh, I, I was kind of grateful that I was there at the front end of it and of course when Asia came out the following year it was very significant that we had you know the Asia videos were were all uh, very high profile on MTV. Definitely, uh, and it was you know it was the marketing tool for the record labels, and so I think that's one of the reasons why that the, they were so expensive to make because the the the, uh, the video directors saw that as a as a means of making you know a very very large amount of bucks very quickly. Right and. Uh, uh, and yeah, I mean, no, nobody thought anything about uh, a video clip costing three, four hundred thousand dollars, you know. Um, whereas the weird thing was, it we'd make an album for a quarter of that, you know. The the, the disparity of the of, of the actual recording of the music, uh, the whole album, and then maybe one song that that you know commercially cost a lot more than, than that but uh yeah it was uh it was the way it was certainly uh unfortunately they don't seem to play much music anymore but no uh, no they don't that's the, that's the way it's gone yeah so the timeline's a little bit uh i was trying to put the timeline together but you told me uh so at the time video kills the radio star uh, debuts on mtv drama you've already made drama and you're you're already deep into uh into Asia. Yeah. So you, you're unbelievably busy at this point in your life. That's right. I think in, a, in, in three years I'd made, uh, I made two Buggles albums, a Yes album uh, and an Asia album. So it was uh, all with three different, you know, very successful uh, projects, if that's what you want to call yeah, it, yeah. all bands. Um, so yeah, I was, I was very, very fortunate that I managed to make all that work for me in the, in a very short space of time. I want to ask about the drama album, but I have a question. Uh, someone tweeted a question. One of the listeners, he wants to know if there were, uh, his name's Jesse Alora. He wants to know, was there ever talk of a third Buggles album? Um, at that point, I think we did, we did the second album after Trevor and I left. Yes. Mm -hmm. And we're going now back to the beginning of, uh, say, uh, 81 right and we we got sort of about halfway through the album and and that's when i got the call to join asia so i think trevor finished the album the second buggles album on his own and at that point trevor was really moving into record production in a big way uh and uh he he'd started to work on a frankie goes to hollywood stuff so he was he was flying as a record producer at that point and so we, we kind of we parted company really mm -hmm. in in, uh, in many ways, and I think that um, 
he um he became uh you know the, the great record producer yeah, that he used to, to this make. day uh, to this day uh, and i veered off towards the the big and abandoned playing live music and and all the rest of it so we we kind of it was not a, a sort of right, you know. I'm off. You do that. You do that. It was more of a kind of we we followed. I think the the vocation that we each had to do something, you know, along the lines that we felt we we wanted to do. And I think that he, uh, you know, he he made the right decision in that respect. And I think I did. Yeah, too, I think you, you know? both did. We we both felt. I think that the Buggles had had. Uh, I run its course because I think that when you, when you get famous for doing a pop record, you you know you you can only take that so far. Right. Uh, I think that you know we weren't a big image thing or anything like that. We were a couple of back backroom boys, uh, session guys, so it wasn't it wasn't like this sort of glam pop band. You know, we were just a couple of record producers, right. and and I think that. Um, we felt that we'd probably taken it as far as we could. So, in terms of being a third Buggles album, we've often talked about it since. And, and uh, you know, I've worked with Trevor on quite a few projects in the last 10 years, not least the Fly From Here album we did with Yes. Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, we still talk about doing stuff. and uh, You never know. We were due to get together a couple of weeks ago, but, of course, this this second wave of lockdown is, uh, has, has made that not really possible. But, you know, we, we still get on and we still talk about, you know, the buggles and how, how it got both of us uh, onto the ladder, as it were. <laughs> now, how do you guys go from the buggles... <laughs> recording drama with yes because you guys have your own thing so why would you want to go yeah. join yes i i think at that point i think that we were we were doing the second album and, and uh or we, we'd had certain some songs forward for it and uh we were we were rehearsing writing in the studio we had the same management company, which so we got to meet the guys in Yes at the management offices and stuff like that. Okay. And it was really just a case of the three, you know, Steve, Alan, and Chris were kind of doing operate. They'd had these sessions in Paris, which, which fell apart. And I think John Anderson and Rick Wake had left at that point. Right. So there was just the three guys. Trevor and I were in the next rehearsal room. Um, and I think Chris came and he said, oh, I really like your album, you know, the Asian Plastic album was really good. Have you got any other songs lying about? So we put on our, our thinking caps and we took a couple of songs into their, their rehearsal room that we'd, we'd written. One of them was called I Am A Camera, which became Into The Lens.
and they said, "Yeah, this is really, you know, this is really good. We, we, we should write some more stuff." So, we, in many ways, it was a, a sort of morphing of of us, uh, you know, because Trevor being the singer and me being the keyboard player, we kind of we had our yeah. That's uh, what they needed. Our, they needed a singer and a keyboard had, player. Exactly. So we had our our chairs. The, the, there were two chairs empty there, and we kind of. Um, Literally just just went in there, and morphed into so, it. So it's as simple as that. You guys are just recording. You're at the same studio, and and someone just walks across the room and says hello, and then the next thing you know, you're recording yeah. drama. Yeah, and uh, you know, both Trevor, uh, Trevor and I were were uh, big fans of Yes as well. So it was kind of wow, this is this is really weird. You know, we're, we're writing with these guys that we've revered all these years, and. Uh, uh, so it was it was, a, it was an amazing experience, and, and for me, you know, being a keyboard player, it's it's a pretty revered role, you know, in mm-hmm. terms of you know the keyboard player of the band. Yes, you know, it's like you know there've been these great guys before me, Tony Kay and Patrick Moraz and Rick Wakeman. So it was, they were sort of pretty big shoes to fill in many ways. So I think I uh, I, I relished the challenge. You know, it was, it was something that that. Uh, that, uh, you know, I, I felt I could do, and uh, I got on with it. When I talk to Yes fans, everyone loves the drama album. It's a really popular album among Yes fans. And, you know, normally when you replace a singer, you know, and other players, you know, that album is under scrutiny. But I, I think everyone loves drama. I know I do. Well, I, I think the thing was that it, it's, it's almost taken on um, in more recent times. I think maybe at the time, the real diehard fans then couldn't really see beyond uh you know john anderson right. the singer uh not so bad for me really because yes i had three keyboard players before me so i was just number four you know <laughs> right. but, uh, <clears throat> but for trevor it was a much harder it's a much harder thing to take on uh which i think he did great on it you know i think the the album really stands up today and i think that uh, it does. he uh I think what what Yes fans really appreciate about it is that it it, it heralded a new era for Yes. You know, so it, you know they could quite easily have gone the same way that ELP went. You know, where they got to the end of the eighties and they couldn't really take it any further. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that the the fans that really appreciate it was saw that it opened a whole new door for Yes. Yes music. It was a you know, from the previous album, Tor Marto, uh, it, it was a very upbeat, energetic, high-energy album. really 
realised that maybe if we'd not made that album, Yes might not have continued in the way that they did. And it certainly paved the way, I think, for what you could call the the you know the eighties yes um, and you know I had adding a lot more you know the technological feel to yes rather than being you know the kind of rustic you know a lot of uh, natural imagery and the lyrics and that kind of thing with uh, trees and mountains and all that sort of stuff I think that with uh, Trevor's lyrics particularly you know we were talking about. Uh, pylons and you know, a lot of technical stuff and <laughs> right. you know engines in the night and all this, you know all sorts of stuff like that uh so it was it was a, a, a i think it was a move lyrically as well it was as well as it was musically and i think that that helped propel yes into the next uh, album of course which trevor produced 90125 but it, it, it you know yes suddenly became you know an 80s band as opposed to being a 70s band. And I think that, that that really helped propel them through the 80s, you know, and beyond into the 90s. And, uh, you know, it's all, it's, the, the, the music still had a lot of relevance at that point. Well, the, yeah, this is what's interesting then as the 80s, uh, as the 80s happen, Steve Howe leaves Yes, joins Asia, John Anderson comes back to Yes, Trevor Horn, who replaced John Anderson, he stays and produces uh, that album. And then Asia and Yes both have wild success in the early 80s. I mean, who who would have thought that after drama, the band would fracture again, John Anderson would come back, and then everything would blow up big again. And, uh, And for you, Asia, that's your biggest success, sales wise. Uh, Oh, yeah, in terms of. I mean that album sold nearly ten million worldwide. You know, it was a it was a huge selling album. I mean, the second album did about three or four million worldwide. So it was a big, yeah. I mean, it was a big selling uh, for for a couple of years. It was, there was a we sold a lot of records, but um, I think you know, in hindsight, I think maybe Yes had a look over their shoulder and saw what we'd done with Asia exactly. in 1982, and thought. You know, maybe we could do with getting some of this for yes, and uh, and so obviously nine zero one two five came out the following year, and I, I think that we probably had some influence on that with Asia that that we we embedded ourselves at the beginning of the eighties into this this sort of not not corporate rock but certainly accessible rock that that maybe the seventies bands had. had uh, you know, they couldn't really achieve anymore. Right. Know, I mean, bands like, you know, King Crimson and, uh, you know, even Gen- Gen- Genesis kind of revis- revamped themselves. Yeah. Know, Genesis. Everyone did uh, in the 80s. Everyone had to embrace that exactly. the 80s sound a little bit if you wanted to stay successful. And so you had well, to if you it. wanted to continue the longevity of a band, Act- yeah. it was the way to go. You yeah. Know, and I think that that's why, you know, when Genesis did the whole thing with, uh, you know, and then there were three, and they 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 started to make pop records, or you know, they they weren't watcher of the skies anymore. You know, they were, uh, you know, let, let's dance or whatever that song was. You know, <laughs> <I don't, laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, it was uh, uh, it was a, a strange era in many ways, but uh, you know, I think there's some fantastic songs were written in in the eighties, and I think that. You know, it's obviously it was my era, and so 
uh, I, I can only think fondly about it. The, uh, so Asia, how do you feel about the term when people call it a super group? Um, I think that was more to do with uh, a marketing ploy than anything else. I think that, you know, Geffen Records, who signed us, we were the first band signed to Geffen Records. Uh, David Geffen had a kind of dream that he wanted to establish his own brand in the marketplace. And he surrounded himself with really, really good people, you know, people who were top of the game in uh, marketing Mm -hmm. and uh, publicity uh, so I think that they came up with this thing. Well, you know, there's the super group of the eighties. Obviously, we all had pretty good pedigrees. I mean, sure. the other three guys, uh, particularly, you know, John Wetton with uh, uh, with UK and King Crimson, King, yep. Carl with the LP, uh, Steve with Yes, of course. So, you know, there, there was a, a an element of you know we were all top, you know top of the game players i suppose at, at that stage so uh, it was um you know it was it was a, a term that that was banded around I, I don't think it was bad because i think it helped it helped to kind of elevate our image to this sort of pinnacle of right uh you know musical prowess and here's the thing you guys are all yes you all have a you all had a great pedigree and you're all top musicians but then you guys write an album with Every single track is a is is a winner. Like there's 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 no song that I skip on that uh, debut Asia album. It, it was my album in the summer. I was 18 years old. Couldn't get better than that. Fate looks certain, but then nothing's guaranteed. One for nothing, but it's nothing what you need. Yeah, well, I think it, it, it sits together really well as an album, and I think it's got the highs, the lows, it's got the dynamics, mm-hmm. it's got it's got pop elements, it's got prog elements, it's got rock elements. You know, it's got... I think that we didn't really know at the time, but I think in hindsight, it is one of those albums that really pretty much had everything right about it. And uh, certainly, you know, the... The, the lead off track heat at the moment which uh was was one of the last songs we wrote for the album but i think that you know we we, we, heard, we people think that we, we we just kind of put it together but it was actually rehearsed for six months in a, in a room in in london and we experimented with all these ideas i think the other three guys who particularly had come from uh that sort of prog rock here in the 70s I think they wanted they wanted fresh challenges and mm-hmm. they wanted to do something different, and so I think that's why we started to craft music more around these kind of melodic melodic rock songs that, that John and I were were coming up with, and uh, but you still had the, the musicality on there, so it was it was not it wasn't just a straight ahead 
uh, rock album, rock songs. It was it was much more of an in depth, I suppose, almost like a, a sort of classical rock yeah. album. You know, we had all those musical moments as well as having the the big powerful anthemic choruses. So it was a, you know, I, I think we did get it right on that album. You had all those things, and then you had hits. You said "Heat of the Moment" that went to number four. Yeah. I never meant to be so bad to you. One thing I said that I would never do. A look from you, and I would fall from grace. And I would wipe the smile right from my face. And then Only Time Will Tell goes to number 17 in the U.S. Uh, I mean, at that point, like early Yes and, and King Crimson and U.K., and Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, they had they had song they had FM hits, songs that rock right. fans knew. But Asia, you guys broke the mold, and you had top forty hits. Yeah, well, we crossed over, but at yes. the same time, we still had a very very deep uh, a rock radio and FM radio. You know, we had maybe five or six cuts going simultaneously on yeah. that album. Uh, so we, we really had the best of both worlds, I think, in that, uh, you know, we, we had a lot of depth to the material on that album. And and, and it was really, you know, it was the, I think it was the best-selling album of the year in America. Yeah. So it had that kind of depth of uh, approach to all generations. You know, it wasn't just, wasn't just like, you know, you're an 18-year-old guy or a college student or whatever. Uh this this transcended across into teenage girls and to uh, right. you know older people who were really into it and uh, you know I think that uh, we managed to jump across all the generations with that album, which was probably why it was so successful. So who put the band Asia together? Who's who started the band? Well, originally I was working with Steve on some material, and mm-hmm. then. Uh, then I went off and I was working back with Trevor on the, on the Buggle stuff. Uh, and Steve had met up with John Wetton and they were starting to write some stuff together. And, uh, uh, and it was about that time that they were looking for someone to play the drums with them because they were, they were starting to think of this whole thing about a band. And so, uh, they got Carl involved. He, uh, as I say, you know, music business was uh, that that nest of musicians was really quite a small pool. Yeah. So, you know, I'd met Carl before. Everyone had met up before at various times. So it was it was really a question of, okay, so we've got the drummer, we've got the bass player, we've got the guitarist, right? Who get it on the keyboard player? And they called me up and said, "Do you want to come and join? Uh, you know, see how it works out." And, and so that's where we got in the room together and we started playing together. 
And is this the first time you had met John Wetton or had you met him in the past? Uh, I'd met him in the management office because his, uh, his girlfriend at the time was working for the management company, who was also uh, Yes's management and the Buggles management. So it was all very kind of incestuous that we knew all these people. And, and I got to know John socially. And then, you know, when we started, uh, we decided that, you know, the four of us would start uh, forming this band. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when I got to know John uh, as a writer as well, and that's when we started working together uh, and really started to form the foundation of Asian music at that point. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like this meeting with John Wetton, you he was your, what do I want to say, most important collaborator then in your life maybe. I mean, you guys... Not only do you have all these Asia albums, you know, uh, after the reunion, and then you have the the Wetton and Downs icon albums. I mean, you guys have written so many albums, so much music together. Do you feel that way? Yeah, I mean, I think I think we were a really a match made in heaven in, in many respects because John and I had very similar backgrounds. We we studied church English church music, and uh, you know, we 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 we'd had the same kind of influences. So. For me, working with someone who was that knowledgeable about, you know, British music and because it was very, we were very influenced by uh, European music. I, I think that, you know, there wasn't a, a lot of blues in our music mm-hmm. you know, in terms of uh, Asia was a very very straight, straightforward. Uh, which I think was one of the reasons why it had the charm. But I think we both had these ideas about these big chorus parts you know and the, and the vocal aspect was very important to us so i think that that's one of the reasons why we went on to write so many songs together was because we had this uh, inherent understanding that uh, you know he'd go with an idea and i'd, I'd put one of my ideas there i would just used to put them together so it was very much a case of um you know what have you got and i'd say well i've got this idea he'd say well i've got this that'll go with that and and that's how it worked. That's and how it worked. That's how, that's how it worked up until the time that sadly we lost John, you know, and uh, uh, it, it was a, a great moment of sadness in my life when we when we lost him because not only was he a, a great friend, but he was also, you know, such a, a great collaborator. And, and I think of all the great music we wrote together. You're leaving now. It's in- But no disguising it It really comes as no surprise To find that you planned it all along I see it now It comes so clear Your insincerity You think that I would have known by now Now, sure as the sun across the sky This lie is over Lost like the tears that used to tie He, uh, I think at one point, I don't know how close it was to his passing, but he had tweeted like a, a picture of a of a CD and it just said wet and downs on it. And I think his tweet was something like, 
working on new music. So he was he was working with you up until his final days. It sounds like pretty much so. Yeah, yeah. And you know, we had some we had some great great ideas that were you know hopefully one day I'll I will put forward. And uh, uh, but it wasn't really enough in terms of you know because John was pretty sick at the time, yeah. so he he, he wasn't really too focused on on that because obviously his health was uh, sure. was failing so um but yeah i mean i i think that there's stuff there that will eventually see the light of day hopefully well that well i know as an asia fan i would uh i would love that but uh and, and but it must be uh it must be difficult for you to you know listen to some of that stuff i don't know how much time time has to pass before you can listen to it and 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 feel good yeah, it's difficult because you know, I relied. John was very much the the lyricist as well. So, because I, I'm a firm believer that you know, the, the person that sings a vocal really, you know, has to believe in the lyric as well. Right. You know, in in terms of it to be, you know, convincing. I'm not saying that some people can do fabulous covers of songs that they haven't been involved in the writing of. But I think in our instance, it was um, it was pretty vital that you know John knew the range of his voice. He knew where you know that what the sentiment would be in a song, how he could deliver that. So it's a very very you know if you analyse it, it's actually a very very complex thing which we never really had to look at because we were both you know just rolling along, right. and, you know, in good health, and you know everything seemed okay. So. Uh, you know, sadly that was that wasn't the case. Yeah, John had uh, like a, a muscular tone to his voice, but then he could sing a song like "An uh, An Extraordinary Life," and it's just it's just a gorgeous vocal. Yeah, I think that uh, you know he had, he had his demons, and I think that when when he came back with the re, well, with the Asian reunion uh, and and some of the icon albums that we did together, his his voice was uh, incredibly strong. Yeah, you know, maybe even stronger than it was at the beginning. And uh, uh, I I can remember hearing some of the you know hearing some of his deliveries and, and and on stage when he did an acoustic song or something like that, it was actually breathtaking. You know, so uh, I think that um, yeah, he he was at the, he was at the top of his game certainly on the, all that early uh, the, the 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 reunion of Asia it was uh, you know we did the Phoenix and the Omega and the Triple X albums uh, you know they they were a, a lot of fun because um, you know as I say John was really on top of the on top of his game then. 
the first time I saw you guys in concert was on the uh, Alpha Tour. You guys came to Pittsburgh Civic Arena. Chris DeBerg was your opener. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, Jeff, it looked like you had about 25 keyboards on stage at that point. You had, uh, you, had right. you had a stage above the drum riser and you would just run back and forth. How did you, how do you keep that all straight? Like I saw that and I, I was just like, I've never seen anything like that before. Well, I think it was um, it was staging as much as anything, but mm-hmm. at the same time, it, it, it had this oppressive, impressive array of technology that uh, and I was very into. I was very into the technology of keyboards. You know, it was my my thing, really. You know, I got the, one of the first Fairlight computers, uh-huh. uh, and so people used to look up the screens up there because people hadn't seen that before. You yeah, know? so. That was always a big talking point. And I had a couple of Hammond organs. So I had all this mixture of modern technology and old analog stuff. So it was kind of like a keyboard showroom up there. And, yeah, it was, uh, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was impressive. I feel bad for the road crew. <laughs> yeah, well, I had to have two guys because it was a lot of stuff. And uh, I think it was really the brainchild of a, of a guy called Michael Tate, who who runs a company called Tate Towers. He was originally Yes's lighting guy back mm-hmm. in the early days, and uh, he has a big company now that do the big stages for Madonna and God knows who else. Uh, but it was his idea that, that we could have this very very uh, high tensile material that would go above Carl's drum riser, yeah. that would support all the keyboards and me. Uh, I'm out two road guys, uh, and it, it it worked out. You know, it was uh, it was it was really good. And I think, you know, that was really our our stage. I mean, I know, you know, you, you go and see uh, Genesis or something like that. And they had all the big light show, Pink Floyd, or whatever. Yeah. That that was one of the things that was our staging in a way. It was impressive. Stage. It was very impressive. The triangular, yeah, like you know, the A, the, the triangle of the A. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I think that it it looked really good. You know, I think it was something that uh, I'm proud we managed to pull that off. And uh, you know, big hits on the Alpha album. You had "Don't Cry," you had "Smile Has Left Your Eyes," and then one of the great deep cuts for me on that album is "The Heat Goes On." You got the face that I can't forget, and I know 
but that was uh, I think that um, you know the, the record label were very keen to get us back in there in the mm-hmm. studio for the alpha. Sure. Um, maybe it was the, the 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 release was a bit weird because it was tied, so the album was actually. Uh, we were actually out on tour before the album was released. Mm-hmm. So there was a little bit of, um, uh, I don't know what you'd say, really, not, it wasn't really that well thought out in terms of that. And I think that affected us uh, internally a little bit that, that we had this situation where uh, it, it kind of brought in a bit of discord in the band. And, that, and that's one of the reasons why I think Steve and John were falling out quite, mm-hmm. quite a lot of the time. Uh, so it was, it was a strange time. I think that we, we also, we made the album we in Canada because the, the accountants had told us that we needed to get out of the country for a tax <laughs> point of view. Cause, uh, so there were all these different things that we, we were slightly out of our comfort zone. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I don't say, I think the album turned out really well considering, um, it's a good album. I mean, it's hard to follow up, you know, the performance of the debut, but I think you guys uh, made a solid album. I, I, I like it very much. Yeah, I, I think it's a good album. And I think that, uh, you know, John and I were particularly under the pressure because the record label, you know, they come off an album that had sold nearly 10 million and, you know, they wanted more of the same. Yeah. And I think that, you know, even though it's, uh, if, if you sold three or four million now of an album, That'd be absolutely uh, mind-boggling. You know, putting the bunting out, you know. <laughs> yes. We were, uh, you know, I think they felt it was, uh, you know, a bit, a bit of a disappointment because they'd done so well with the first album. That's always a big, big problem, isn't it? If you've, if you've done so well with your first album and then, uh, you know, you've got to follow that up. And uh, yeah, expectations are high. Well, exactly, and I think also at that point. Geffen has started to move into other areas of uh, of signing bands mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So we were not, you know, the previous year we'd been at the top of the tree and we were starting to get, you know, move down a peg or two. Uh, so all of these aspects, I think, put a lot of pressure on us at the time. Um, and so, you know, I, I still think that Alpha, there's some great songs on Alpha, you know, I think Open... Open Your Eyes is a great piece. What on earth are you doing here in the Western world? Another situation, yeah, you're a different girl. There's great musicality on the album, but uh, I think that we, you know, somehow we'd lost a little bit of momentum. Maybe we shouldn't have got out so soon. Maybe we should have still been promoting the first album. I don't know. You know, so it's a lot of it in hindsight. But uh, yeah, it certainly put a bit of a, you know, threw a bit of a spanner in the works. And then subsequently, Steve leaves the band and you get Mandy Mayer, who's like a, he's kind of a heavy metal rock guitarist 
How many people did you audition to, to fill Steve's spot? Well, I think the fact was that Steve had got a bit disillusioned with it at that time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, him and John were pretty much, you know, loggerheads. And, and John had obviously been out when we had Greg Lake in briefly. when John came back you know Steve felt that wasn't right for him uh, was that difficult so, was that difficult for you because you and Steve had a relationship from yes and now you're having a great relationship with John as a songwriting collaborator and now your two yeah. your two friends are, are not getting along I know I felt you know I think both Carl and myself were, were sort of men in the middle and yeah. it was uh, it was tough times because you know you, you what do you do in that situation? It's kind of an, an immovable, uh, an immovable situation. So we, it was a difficult time for the band, and, and certainly for me, yeah, and for Carl, and for everybody, I think. So uh, I think when when John came back in, Steve, uh, you know, Steve wanted to move on, and mm -hmm. the record label wanted a wanted a third album. We were contracted to do a third album, so they suggested uh, Mandy. Okay, which of course moved us in a you know a different direction i think that again it was you know the, the mid 80s there were those big power guitars all over the shop yeah uh, and i think that maybe we thought that that was that was the right way to go i, I mean it might well have been i think that, that the astro album has got its moments i think that uh you know i think that that um but by that time we'd been two years before you know, after Alpha, we you know we just lost a bit of momentum. Yeah, then. yeah. Even in the video for Go, you guys have the you, your hair's kind of bigger and it's oh um, yeah yeah it was very eighties yeah, very eighties. But yeah, you're right. Astra has some great songs. Uh, Countdown to Zero, uh, yeah. Rock and Roll Dream, and I Love uh, Hard on Me is a great track.
I mean, the thing was, I don't think we had a chance to uh, we didn't really get out to tour that album either. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that, that we started to move our separate ways at that point. You know, certainly John was um, more involved in looking at a solo career. Uh, Carl was thinking about going back to ELP or certainly working with uh, Keith again. And, yeah. Uh, I can't remember the timing of it, but I think he went back to uh, Emerson Lake and Powell, one of those, or three. Was yeah, three, three was the band that uh, Carl yeah. went to. Yeah, so that, that was this sort of, um, and then I was involved with uh, uh, producing, so I produced a GTR album at that point. So we all kind of, you know, after Astra, we all went our separate ways, as it were. And, uh, you know, I think that it was one of the reasons why when we came back together again uh, around about 2005, was that we felt that we'd never really given Asia enough of a chance, you know, after having that huge success to start with. Uh, It kind of just went, you know, further and further downhill, uh, in terms of, you know, our togetherness. Yeah. And uh, and so in many respects, I think that's when we came back together again in 2005, we all felt that, you know, we had something to prove and we had, you know, there was still, there was still life in the old dog yeah. yet, you know. But you did, you did keep the Asia alive, uh, the Asian name alive for, for years with John Payne on vocals. quite a few albums in that period of time um you know that was i, would, I had some fun doing that mm-hmm. i think there's, there's some good stuff there there, uh, there absolutely is uh, and i think that you know maybe uh had we had more 
you know, more, more backing, it might have been a bit more successful. But yeah, it was, it was very it was independent t- at that point for you it, guys. It was, it was tough. And I think that, uh, you know, it was um, not necessarily to do with music per se, but it was more the fact that, you know, you have to get, it's very hard to get momentum when you've not got, you know, a label behind you in, right. the, in that period. Uh, so without that, that sort of major label backing, it's really very hard to sustain uh, any kind of high-level uh, profile. In uh, in 2005, there's a movie that comes out. It's a comedy with Steve Carell. It's called The 40-Year-Old Virgin. And his character, he has a, a framed Asia poster in his apartment. Yeah, uh, I've, is, got one on, I've got one <laughs> on my wall. <laughs> but what, what was the joke there, Jeff? Were they trying to tell us that Asia fans don't get laid? Is that what they were trying to tell us? I think that's what they're trying to say. Whereas, you know, I think if you, if you turn the clock back maybe 20 years, it would have been a different story. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think um, it, it was really, you know, quite, quite good for us because it, it brought Asia back in the, yeah. in the frame. It was a big film. You know, it was one of the top box office films yeah. of the year. I got a kick out of it when I saw it. I'm like, oh, that's great. That's fantastic. Yeah, well, we did too. You know, the fact the song was in the film. So it, it brought... Uh, it brought Asia, you know, back to life, but in the, in the kind of in the, in the cinema, and and I think that that was good for us. I, I don't think that uh, anybody felt bad about that. Good, was, you you uh, guys are in on the joke. Yeah, it was it was tongue in cheek, you know, uh, and and the guy having the poster on the wall, <laughs> all of that. Yeah, it was it was, uh, it was it was cool because you know they say you know any uh, good publicity, any publicity is good publicity. <laughs> Well, I'm about ready to wrap it up. I have I have mountains of mountains of notes for you, uh, Jeff. But uh, I, I I promise that I only keep you an hour. Uh, here's yeah. here's a funny story. When I talked to the people who were setting this up for me, I said that I wanted to do it through Zoom so that we could see each other, and they said, "Well, I, I we don't even know if Jeff uses Zoom." And I just thought back to that setup from 1982. I go, yeah. he, he knows how to use Zoom. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I am quite computer savvy. Yes, I yeah. knew you would be. So the Asia albums uh, that came after the reunion, I just want to touch on those real quick. Phoenix, Omega. Do you guys call it Triple X or is it 30? What do you call it? Yeah, Triple X, yeah. yeah. Uh, these al- the 30th anniversary. These albums had some great songs. Uh, Finger on the Trigger from Omega is such a great song. The Golden. And uh, I urge people to seek those out if they've never heard those four albums because there's some really good stuff. You guys were doing great work. Yeah, it's uh, and, you know, great to have the Roger Dean covers as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's uh, uh, as much as he was aligned to yes, I think that, uh, you know, there was no 
no small influence uh, on, on the Asia covers was, uh, you know, I think Roger did fantastic jobs on those with the logo. Yeah, he created the, the logo. Yeah. It's the Asia logo stood the test of time. It really so, has. Um, it's great. And, uh, and it's very identifiable. So here's where people can find you. You're on Twitter at Asia Jeff. Two Fs, yeah. Two Fs, G-E-O-F-F. And, That's it. and you retweeted my tweet today, so I appreciate that. I, I, did, I, I, yeah, love, I love the interaction. We, you can go to jeffdowns.com and you can go to yesworld.com. And the new Yes Live album comes out October 30th, the Royal Affair Tour, live in Las Vegas. Uh, Jeff, I look forward to any new music you make. If you guys make a new Thanks. Yes album, I'm all in. If new Asia music ever comes with... Uh, with Bumblefoot, that would be cool too. Whatever happens, yeah. I'm I'm all on board with Jeff Down. So, continue success, Jeff. Stay safe. And what would if I was going to uh, a play out song from the new Yes album? What would you suggest? What one would you like um, me to play out with? I would suggest no opportunity necessary. You yeah, got it, yeah. Jeff. Take care. Oh. Thank you. Yeah, bye, Pat.
Jeff Downs, ladies and gentlemen, Jeff Downs. <laughs>